2: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the gold dome. And today we are joined by AJC State House reporter, Maya T. Prabhu. Maya, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, well, first off, this episode we'll talk about, we'll dive into qualifying, but let's first set the stage for what exactly qualifying period is. It's a biennial rite of passage where every two years, Office seekers line up, they fill out paperwork, they pay fees to formally run for office. It's kind of awkward, though, isn't it?
1: It is. I mean, the lobby of the second floor of the state house is packed, and there are people everywhere, candidates, um, handlers, people from each party. It's just people are stepping all over each other in in the lobby to get in line um, so that they can state their intent to run.
2: They really are. And there's it's a period sometimes full of surprises. It's when people announce they're resigning if they haven't already. It's where you have sudden challengers for races, m- many of them down ticket, like the, the top of the ticket races. We usually know the field is set. Mm-hmm. There was a big surprise in 2018 where Lucy McBath was, had been planning to run for the state house for, for a very long time. And then right before she qualified, she said, nope, I changed my mind. I'm running for Congress instead in the sixth district. And we all know how that turned out. She ended up beating Karen Handel. Um, but there can be some really awkward scenes. I mean, you've got rivals with literally standing in line next to each other. You've got Dueling press conferences, and like the scene in the in the second floor of the Capitol, you've got Republicans in one room across one lobby, and the Democrats right across from the hall from each other, like all kind of within shouting distance. So it's, it's it's weird, especially that Monday, especially the first day where most of the candidates end up qualifying.
1: Yeah, it's it's so packed. There there are people everywhere, you know. You, you envision there being some glares, but everyone seemed to be pretty cordial this year.
2: Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of the uh, the, the friction later on. But first, um, let's talk about the Senate because some of the biggest headlines were from the U.S. Senate. All told, 21 people lined up to run for the seat Kelly Leffler holds. That includes Leffler herself, of course. All told, six Republicans, eight Democrats, four independents, one libertarian, one Green Party candidate, and one right in candidate. So there's no shortage of interest for that race. And again, just a reminder, there is no primary for that race. It's all, everyone, all 21 of those candidates will be on the same November ballot, which means that a runoff is, I mean, it was already highly, highly likely, but this just cements it, that there's probably going to be a runoff in that race because Kelly Leffler faces a tough Republican opponent in Doug Collins. And Reverend Warnock has two other rivals who, have, who can raise significant cash in Ed Tarver and uh, Matt Lieberman. So this race is as wild as ever.
1: Yeah, you know, like you said, it. there's no way that with all of those people, anyone can secure 50% plus one of the votes. So
2: we'll definitely be going into January with this. I promised you a little bit of friction, but we saw that on Monday. It wasn't a lot, but it was very, it was, it was one of those weird, awkward scenes that we'll be, that, you know, that we'll remember for a very long time in that Kelly Leffler and, and Governor Kemp were about to have a big press conference announcing that she had formally qualified. And then in storms Doug Collins. Uh, who had his own impromptu press gathering just before she could. Um, so it just highlighted that these, these two are, are, are not friendly competitors. This is going to be a rough and tumble race. And, um, we've already seen that really play out in the ads and in the social media and in really what the campaign, at least what the Collins campaign is saying about Leffler. Leffler so far has, has not attacked him directly, but she doesn't have to when she has surrogates from the NRSC and, and all sorts of others, uh, to do it for her.
1: Yeah, the, 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 the friction is definitely obvious between these two. And then we had, you know, the Twitter account, which I know followed, I think, all of us at the AJC Air LaFleur uh, launch this week. So,
2: um, Oh, I need to follow that. I forgot. it. I wrote about it, but I forgot to follow I don't it. think
1: I followed it back yet either, but I did notice that it followed me. I was like, oh, OK, so this is going to be a thing. So, um, yeah, definitely going to be an interesting um Thing to to
2: watch as this campaign unfolds, and not to be forgotten, U.S. Senator David Perdue, the other the other Senate race um, that would have been getting the lion's share of attention if not for this Leffler race. Um, but he qualified the run. He had a press conference as well that Monday. So it was a kind of a ridiculously busy Monday morning. So he had a press conference as well saying, hey, I'm running again. Um, he was kind of sharing war stories from 2014. Do you remember when I was at 3 or 4% in the polls when I first got in the race? And look at me now. Well, look at him now because he did not – uh, draw even a Republican challenger. So that means he is instantly the Republican nominee for that, that seat. But again, it's not going to be a cakewalk. Um, that one is a primary. That's a conventional election. And a, mm-hmm. a several Democrats jumped in the race, but three who are you know, uh, formidable fundraisers. And that is Sarah Riggs Amico, who you covered during the 2018 campaign, John Ossoff, the former sixth district candidate and former Columbus mayor, Teresa Tomlinson. So all three of them also had a uh, big, huge, raucous, uh, qualifying day press conferences, um, on separate days. So it was a, it was a big moment for all of them too.
1: Yeah, I think they're, you know, gearing up for, you know, Senator Purdue gets to kind of sit back until after May, um, but mm-hmm. the at these three and all of the Democrats running are going to be duking it out over the next, what is it, two months? Um, is it two? Yeah,
2: two months. I'm like, what month? You're right. It's right around the corner. And it's May 19th, and we're so caught up with, and, and rightfully so, with the legislative session and with the Georgia March 24th primary right. between- Biden and Sanders are the last two least, least leaders standing. Right. That you know, we for well, we I think voters can forget. It's it's hard to over. It's easy to overlook the fact that a primary is literally right around the corner.
1: Yeah, it's it's right it's right here, <laughs> and I'm thoroughly stressed about it. But um, it's going to be a good time.
2: Yeah, and and there's a lot of other seats that we'll be watching on that primary calendar because let's talk about the U.S. House. There's two U.S. House seats open up for grabs in North Georgia that are safely Republican. And each of those attracted a slew of candidates and a couple Democrats too, but those are districts that Trump handily won. And then there's another open seat in Gwinnett County that will be really close. And a lot of candidates qualified for that one too. So that those races are, are almost surely going into, into primary runoffs. Um, But, you know, down the ticket was interesting too, because even safely democratic and safely Republican seats that didn't draw opposition in years past they got rivals. Even John Lewis to a challenger. And and he he's basically a, a, a over, over since 2000 has only drawn three or four challengers. So um, it says something that all these seats are contested. They th- Most of those challengers will not win, but th- that all these seats are are being challenged.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, folks are fired up and it shows that Democrats are are fired up about challenging and in, in all of these congressional races they have folks running in every congressional race, I think, for the first time, at least in a while. And um, yeah, I don't think their strategy is necessarily to put up a Democrat against John Lewis, but it was definitely part of their strategy to run folks in um, districts that might even be a long shot, but some districts that they that they solidly believe that they can take.
2: Now, down the ticket, and then you wrote a long story about this, but down the ticket is where this gets really interesting, because back in 2016, Democrats hardly contested some of the suburban battlegrounds that we're watching so closely now. In 2018, that changed. Democrats flipped 13 of the legislature's 236 seats, mostly by winning seats across the Atlanta suburbs. And now they have more candidates running for these legislative positions than they've had in decades.
1: Yeah. You know, it's it's really interesting. I went back and I looked at the races in 2016, 2018, and this year. And, you know, we had... Uh, 52 elections in 2016, so 15 out of 236 that had um, in November a Republican and a Democrat on the ballot. In 2018, there were 98 general election races with a Republican and a Democrat, and this year there will be 120. So it's just you know showing to go from you know four years ago 52 essentially challenges to. 120, like it definitely shows this groundswell of um, interest and desire to kind of, um, for Democrats to kind of like fight back against Republican control of the legislature.
2: Yeah, that's 120 contested races through November, when a lot of these races were over in the primary, they were over, in, you know, they would have been over in May, or going to at least go on through November. And in all Democrats fielded candidates in 187 state legislative races this year, and of course, you know, a lot of those are safely Democratic seats that didn't draw a Republican challenger. That, that, that accounts for the discrepancy in numbers. But roughly 80% of the Gold Dome seats up for grabs, um, Democrats have a challenger for those seats and and look when the balance of power in maybe not the georgia senate because republicans have a pretty firm advantage there but when the balance of power in the in the state house where, where democrats are looking to flip 16 seats of the 180 seats to win and they've contested um uh, you know more than 100 i think it was 144 of them um you're you're really getting to where republicans are going to be on the defenses
1: yeah definitely and and they're not obviously taking this lightly um uh, Speaker Ralston, you know, announced a campaign to raise a lot of money to kind of ensure that he's able to keep Republicans in these seats, especially in the Atlanta suburbs. And, um, you know, I think the desire is to actually take back some of these seats that have flipped to Democrats in, in recent elections.
2: And it was fascinating to see that in in real life because you have a lot of these candidates that lost in 2018, um, they're back. You know, a lot of these Republicans that lost back then. So to give a little hint of it, Alex Kaufman is once again challenging Josh McLaurin, who beat him two years ago in Sandy Springs in a, in a district that was for decades a Republican stronghold. Betty Price is trying to win back a Roswell-based house seat she lost two years ago to, to Mary Robichaud. And and of course, in the, the Democrats' biggest victory was Lucy McBath's win in the 6th District. Well, Karen Handel, she's right back at it, and she's running for to reclaim that seat. So I think up and down the ballot, you see a lot of that um, happening. R- Republicans feel the challenge, challenge, strong challengers to a lot of the seats the Democrats won two years ago.
1: Yeah, and and you know it'll be interesting to to watch these rematches. You know, kind of play out. These candidates, you know, for the most part, know each other. So it'll be interesting to see how much these, you know, whether it's sentiment or demographics in these districts have changed to lean more democratic or um, how, you know, swingy, you know, for lack of a better term, these seats will go if they're going to, you know, flip flop back and forth.
2: Exactly. And how, and how different they are in an election year, right? Um, uh, in a presidential election year, I should say, rather than a midterm, because midterm Turnout tends to be lower than presidential. I'm not breaking any news here. Although although 2018 saw the highest numbers of of Democratic votes and Republican votes in the governor's race and in many of these these other races than we've seen in a very you know ever. Um, so with a presidential election on the ballot and so much interest and so much energy behind Trump and whoever the Democratic nominee is, uh, we'll we'll see how that affects down ticket candidates. And that's really why. We saw a flood of Democrats who either had been on the sidelines or maybe backing another candidate flip in major, in quick order to Joe Biden just a few days ago, just after Super Tuesday. A lot of them said, look, we don't want to be, you know, painted with the same brush as Bernie Sanders. We don't want to be called, they're going to call us social, Republicans are going to call us socialist or communist, no matter what, but we don't want to give them any more reason to to, to, to make that argument. So you saw... You saw the Joe Biden effect really uh, take up in Georgia politics.
1: Yeah, you know, Democrats in Georgia really want to be able to point to the top of the ticket to try and energize folks to get them out. Um, I I don't know that they believe that either Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders initially <laughs> would be that candidate, but they are definitely mm-hmm. pointing at Joe Biden now and saying, you know, look, guys, if if we're going to do this, you guys need to to get out there and um and support this candidate and and vote all the way down the ballot.
2: As the week ended, a couple hours after qualifying, which we went from Monday at 9 a.m. to Friday at noon, um, we had dueling press releases from the parties. We had Democrats touting the 187 state legislative races that they've got candidates in. We also had a, an interesting press release from Republicans who noted that they have roughly overall 1,500 candidates as opposed to the nearly 900 candidates that the Democrats recruited. Um, should be noted that many of these, because qualifying is not just for state and federal office, it's also for county positions, so that the, the majority of these, these positions are county positions. Still, though... Republican. We're talking coroner, district attorney, um, sheriff's office, that that kind of thing. Um, But still, Republicans come into twenty twenty with a lot of strength and, and of course, with a lot of with a lot of inherent advantages because they're incumbents, which makes it a lot easier to raise cash. It makes it a lot easier to tout records, and it also makes it you know gives gives an advantage to on some ballots at least because they have the I next to their name.
1: Right, and and you know what's interesting is there are what is it 76 republican incumbents who will have a democratic challenger in november and then on the other side there are 26 democratic incumbents with a republican challenger in november and the other thing that i thought was interesting i was looking at the number of primaries um so typically um like you said there in in a lot of these safe districts whether they be democrat or republican these contests were decided in the primary but mm-hmm. this year i i see kind of the the number of democratic primaries happening kind of remained about the same they jumped up from 2016 to 2018 from about 35 to about 55 and this year there'll be 50 democratic primaries but there'll only be 30 republican primaries in the state house this year, which I found to be really interesting after them having about 50 in in, in the past two election cycles. Um, you know, I asked, you know, why do you think this is? Of course, I asked folks on, on both sides and they kind of gave expected answers, you know, on on the one side, um, you have Republicans saying, uh, you know, well, people are just happy with the way the, the state is going. And so, um, you know, that's not putting up a lot of uh, Republican challenges in in state house primaries, um, whereas Democrats are saying, "Well, there are fewer Republicans now, and so that's why we're having more Democratic primaries and there are fewer Republican primaries." So it's interesting to see. I don't I don't know that in either one, either one of them is necessarily correct, but it's it's interesting mm-hmm. to see these um the different analyses of of what that means. I just found that to be really interesting, like the pretty decent drop in the number of Republican primaries that
2: are happening this year. Yeah. And a lot of these boil down to just local issues too. You know, I mean, sometimes we like to paint everything with a broad stroke that, that you know, it's all about Trump or it's all about camp or whatever. But, you know, in talking to some of these challengers, um, there's there's one challenger to Horace Tate, who's a long serving Democratic state senator from Atlanta. And she drew a couple challengers and one of them just said, hey, she doesn't show up. She doesn't, she doesn't go to events anymore. So it wasn't about any necessarily a vote she 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 took or anything like that. And then if you look at one of the more interesting races, or could be, who knows, um, but it could be, is Mac Jackson over in Sandersville. He's a Democratic state rep. Um, he was also the only Democrat who voted for the anti-abortion legislation that passed last year. He drew a Democratic challenger named Danny Thomas. So, you know, there, there might be some isolated, really interesting, isolated primary challenges all over the, the state. Um, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't look like there's this tea party upswell that we saw with tea party challengers or this, you know, a a rising class of sort of Bernie Sanders like insurgents who are, who are furious at having to, to wait their turn. Um, yet now we saw, you know, there could be a couple upsets. We saw a few upsets in 2018 for sure. Um, and that is why we'll be watching all this very closely. Amaya, you'll, you'll be watching it closer than anyone else.
1: Yes, yes, it's going to be um, a very busy, interesting few months. A bit very busy, interesting year um, watching these candidates. And the, another thing that I wanted to note was that you know we have a lot of um, well, not a lot, but we had a decent number of, of, of retirements. Mm-hmm. Whether that's folks seeking higher office or folks just deciding that they're not going to run again, we have eight people in the Senate who won't be coming back and eighteen in the House. Um, you know, in some A couple of them seeking higher office um, and um, some longtime folks like um, Abel Mabel Thomas did not qualify for any race this year after uh, kind of flirting with the idea of running for U.S. Senate. So um, it's interesting to see the folks who who won't be coming back next year.
2: Well, Maya, thank you so much for joining us. This is awesome. And we'll be following your work as you hone in on some of these these real battleground Um, state legislative races. There are a lot of seats that Democrats are looking to pick up that are still in the inner suburbs and maybe a little further afield and the exurbs that they're learning for. And of course, Republicans are trying to retake their their seat, defend the seats they've got and retake some of the seats they lost.
1: Yeah, it's definitely going to be busy.
2: (laughs) That's all for this edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Visit AJC.com slash politics for all the latest in Georgia news. I'm Greg Bluestein, signing off.